Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. We're excited about our guest today. Our guest today is a keyboardist and band leader who has been making records since the 90s. Um, He was named the best new smooth jazz artist in 2002, and he and his band have continued to be staples on the smooth jazz radio and touring scenes. Um, His music is really, it's an ever-evolving, to me, melding of jazz and fusion and classical and and lots of other musical styles. Please welcome to the show today, Lau Tizer. Lau, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, Carl. And hello, everyone out there in uh, cyber podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being on with us today, man. I know we're uh, we, um, we're catching you. You just had a baby. And so um, you've been uh, catching up on sleep and, and um trying to feel better before you get on the road and do some shows. So I really appreciate you taking time to hang out with us today, man. My, my pleasure. And yeah, it's been uh, a joyful, but uh, you know, but a uh, busy ride the last month. Yeah. Uh, like you said, my wife and I welcomed our first child on uh, February 7th. So fantastic, man. And what, and what is, and, and, and what, uh, what, how has that changed your, you know, other than being sleep deprived, you know, how has that changed your uh, your your compass and your focus and how you go about doing what you do? Yeah, I mean, you know, quite quite a bit, at least in the short term. I mean, everybody says, you know, the first few months are are the toughest as far as scheduling. And like you said, just getting rest, whatever. I happen to have a very busy month ahead. I'm traveling every weekend, uh, next four or five weekends straight. So it's, it's good to be working, especially after, you know, going through the time with the pandemic and whatever, but you know, it it, it adds an extra wrinkle and obviously it just, you know, your priorities change a bit. I'll probably be, you know, a little more selective on some of the gigs um, that we do just to, just to manage, you know, the practical and logistical realities. And obviously the baby's only, She's only four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks once. So exactly out on miss out on stuff, but you know, life has to keep moving too. So we're, my wife and I are just trying to find that, uh, that right balance. And, uh, you know, it's all learning experience for sure. Yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, one of the, I would say probably the greatest joys in life is being a parent, man. And, you know, having that time goes by so fast and I think you're wise to be thinking about, Hey, you know, she's only going to be six weeks, eight weeks, one year old, one time. So being around for that is really good. So good for you. And congratulations again. I appreciate it, man. It's definitely, I mean, like you said, it's definitely the ultimate life-changing experience. Um, you know, quite a, quite a, uh, experience of emotions and, and I think, you know, uh, probably the ultimate coming of age experience too. So, you know, we'll, um, I'm sure she's going to do great things and, uh, and far outpace me. So I look forward to that. <laughs> A little bit of fatherly advice here too. Girls are smart. They are complex and smart. I, I tell you, I get, my daughter is 16 now and she asks some questions. Sometimes I scratch my head and this is year. I mean, this was started when she was like four or five years old, these questions. And sometimes I just scratch my head and I think to myself, Oh my gosh, how am I going to keep up with this kid? You know? <laughs> so, so get ready, man. It's going to be a fun journey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, I, I am. And, uh, 
and you know we're ready for the ride and and um I'm just very blessed to have a beautiful healthy young baby girl and and uh you know uh I'm sure the future her future will be very bright so yeah absolutely so I read that you started playing piano when you were just 9 years old so so what was it that made you want to start playing at such a such a young age so when I was actually five, my parents got a piano from a friend of theirs, originally from my sister, who's just about two years older than me, um, to start playing. And I was just the one that took like natural interest in it. I used to just kind of like play around on it and make stuff up long before I got lessons. I don't know why I just had a natural thing for it. I mean, my mom told me when I was a little baby that I also I was always super active with my hands, whatever, like with, uh, what are those called mobiles. Right. And I would always fiddling with them with my fingers and whatever. So I guess I had some kind of dexterity or something that way. And um, so it actually took my dad quite a while to actually get me lessons. Uh, I used to kind of get lost in the, in the piano. One of my, one of my parents' friends had, uh, had graduated from university of Colorado at Boulder from the classical piano program. And when I was a little kid, she had just showed me a couple of like the most rudimentary things on um, piano. And I would just kind of play around with those. But as far as actual lessons, yeah, it was just before I turned nine. And so I kind of wish they would have started me sooner. I mean, you know, a lot of the really great pianists or just musicians in general, I mean, guys like Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea, whatever, a lot of those guys started when they're like two years old or three years old. Yeah. Our, the drummer in my band, Gene Coy, who's from uh, not far from you guys, from Evanston. I think Gene started playing drums when he was like 18 months. Like, you know, Kidding. So, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's been a great thing, but I mean, you know, I, sitting here knowing that it's my profession, I, I wouldn't mind it an extra three years. Sure. So, sure. But you're still doing pretty good for yourself. You're, I'm, you're, I'm you're pretty fine. accomplished. So <laughs> I think you've made up for maybe a little bit of lost time along the way here. So, so, you know, I, I have to tell you, you know, that, you know, as I was preparing for our interview today, I had your music playing throughout my house and I was, taken by just how much your sound evolves from song to song and album to album you know tell us about that like you know is that is that your your desire and your goal to to make something different all the time or i guess it comes from a few things i grew up with a really diverse diet of music as a kid uh my dad uh, came from a very musically oriented family uh my great grandfather was a piano teacher uh, nobody else played, but they were very like society, you know, uh, he grew up in Philly and they were very like kind of into going to classical shows and all that stuff. So he was exposed to a lot of that. So when I was growing up, he had a huge classical music collection and then a huge collection of like world music, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, Japanese Shakuhachi and Ravi Shankar and, you know, Carlos Nakai and, and music of the Sufis and, and uh, all kinds of wild stuff. And then my parents are baby boomers. So the music of their generation, so like Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, Sam Cooke, Motown, uh, a little bit into like Hendrix and Janis Joplin. They weren't huge class classic rockers, but like Beatles, that kind of stuff. So that's what I was exposed to. My dad is, was not a jazz fan, still is not a jazz fan. So that came for me later. Um, but I think it's the combination of having a really diverse diet of music as a young child. And I just, what, what moves me musically and my tastes are pretty diverse. So, so taking that, 
and applying it to what you release as an artist. Uh, and as you grow and evolve, hopefully as an artist, I, you know, I, I like a lot of different flavors and personally, I also like groups that touch on different styles. Like I don't like anything that's too kind of formulaic or stays too much inside uh, a certain box. So I try and just do what comes to me and, and hope that because I'm the composer, the vast, vast majority of the time, there's a continuous thread through it, even if there is kind of this diversity of, of influence and style and whatever. And, you know, we're one of these groups that don't really, we're not any one thing. Like we've, we're, um, we're not a straight ahead jazz group. We're not exactly a smooth jazz group. And, and we touch on a diverse array of stuff um, and can reach a really broad audience. And we've played a lot of like shows opening for classic rock groups, shows playing like adult contemporary artists, uh, jam bands, all kinds of stuff. So I think it's like, you know, I just focus on good compositions with room for improvisation. And to me, that's the recipe that, that I like. Uh, that's awesome. So I just try and stay true to that. And listen, I write a lot of music that never gets released too, that I just might write for myself. And I'm like, I don't see that serving a purpose for the band, but I wrote it at the time because it's something I felt or whatever. And, you know, I've got hundreds of voice memos on my iPhone of ideas that may never be fleshed out, mm -hmm. but they're there. I can always go back to them. So, so is um, it, is it always for you what works for the band or is there this pull sometimes to say, well, this may not work for the band, but I want to do this one myself. Yeah, I mean, the, so as far as releasing something commercially, uh, I would always consider it like, does it make sense either for a, to record and release or to to include in the live show? And if not, you know, maybe you just write something for yourself sometimes or put it on the back burner and maybe it would be for some other project down the line. I mean, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's only so much time in the day. And, and we got to focus on developing our careers too. I mean, if, if we could all just kind of release everything we wanted to release with no considerations for marketing and commercial success and the logistics of a, of a career, then I'd, you know, I'd probably release even more diverse uh, kind of stuff. But I try and think of like um, what's good for the band and also where the band's going now. I mean, we've evolved a great deal, no question. And mm -hmm. I mean, the new the new release, we have all these cool original vocal tunes that myself and Alice Tita have written that none of them have been recorded. You can see some YouTube's video, YouTube videos of them, but we haven't recorded them yet. So the next project, we've got like five really cool original vocals. And then I got to finish up some instrumental stuff and then figure out another thing that's a factor today is like the record business has changed so much. Yeah. I don't know that you need to release a record anymore. It's yeah. like you could release EP, you could release singles upon singles, whatever. So I haven't quite figured out what makes sense for the next one, other than that we've got all this cool stuff that needs to be recorded and and kind of just follows the natural evolution of where we're headed now. And I don't know if that'll change a couple of years from now. Probably will. I mean, I think I think staying true to your muse, you just gotta kind of evolve and and go where your heart takes you. I, I the one thing I will say is this: I've never released anything especially since like 2009 uh -huh. that I didn't feel deeply connected to at the time. Good. Good. So, you know, the best is when you can find that composition or that tune that is commercially very marketable, has a great hook, whatever. Uh -huh. And you also feel really connected to. Yeah. So yeah. You know, that's, that's what I'm always searching for. Good. Uh, 
Good, good, good. Well, I tell you, so you mentioned, you know, kind of, you know, how the music business has evolved. And and that's so true. I hear that from many other artists as well. And a lot of artists are, like you said, releasing singles or releasing, you know, EPs and and things like that. And releasing things with more frequency, too, right? Um, Just because the process, they have a little more control over the process. But in addition to being a band leader like you and, and, and being a composer, you're really active on the business side of things too, right? So talk to us about how you make all that stuff come together. Sometimes I wonder, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I got a very early start in my career. I mean, my, you know, I released like self-produced records when I was in high school. Uh-huh. I've never had a job, amazingly, since I was 14. I've always played music. Yeah, uh, good it, for you. you know, quite a journey. Um, and I started out like booking my own band a lot in I guess about 20 years ago. So over those years, uh, I just developed a big database of contacts, whatever, and just been kind of making connections and and all that. So, uh, and along the way I've worked with managers, I've worked with agents, whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just never been the right situation. Like every time I did that, uh, with no disrespect to any of them, sure. I, my work always went down. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that's not what you want. You want to keep moving forward and keep growing. So, and then about five years ago, my good friend and longtime like mentor and collaborator and, you know, one of my dearest friends in music, uh, Kieli Minucci uh-huh. and his mentor approached me. He had already worked with my band for years and years about uh, also helping book special effects. Yeah. Yeah. So then that out of that came the special effects all stars. So we've got like this, you know, two different groups with a bunch of amazing featured guests that work with them and and all sorts of configurations. And it's turned into a really cool thing um where you know uh we've been able to to balance out both bands tour a lot we play in different configurations everybody gets their music included in those shows when it's like featured artists and uh but yeah it's a lot to it's a lot to stay on top of and then you know now i added a baby to it so right 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 and the list of list of to-dos just keeps growing and growing and growing in your world huh well fortunately (laughs) i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no go for it I was just gonna say, fortunately, somehow, maybe that's just the way the universe works or whatever, uh, things, even in spite of time being certainly limited this year, things kind of keep coming our way. Yeah. Um, at, you know, obviously, I'd love to have more time to work on it, especially being that it feels like 2022 is going to be the year that we're all officially back. I hope you're right. Like, you know, knock on wood. Yes, but, yes. You know, back to full full-scale touring, full-scale events, and, yeah. and back to living, you know, as we all, you know, we're so accustomed. So, um, you know, just, you just got to do the best you can to manage it all. And uh, I, I feel really blessed to work with outstanding musicians in both groups, friends, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. So good you know, for you. Yeah. Full plate indeed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's take a listen to, to some of your music. This is the Loud Tizer band with the song Metropolis.
All right, everybody, that was today's guest, Lau Tizer, and his band with the song Metropolis. So, Lau, you were just talking a little bit about your band, and your band is unique in that it, like you were saying, you know, it's different configurations, it's different people, and, and then your work with special effects all-stars, and, you know, how do you go about putting to, how do you know, like, how the group needs to evolve from time to time, from project to project? Yeah, I would say, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just kind of intuitive. I mean, the one big, the one big step we made with the last release, which Metropolis is from, Mm -hmm. uh, I think all the tunes I sent you today are from that uh, called Songs from the Swing House. Yeah. The big step in that release was it was the first time I decided I wanted to add a vocalist to the group. We'd always been only instrumental right. and original. And we actually did, for the first time ever, did cover arrangements. There were vocal cover arrangements. And uh, out of that uh, came this whole inspiration to start uh, writing vocal, like original vocal stuff. So that was just kind of a, a natural evolution um, you know, and sometimes, I mean, I've always been a guy who, who subscribes very much to like the ensemble, uh-huh. uh, aspect of it. Like we, we kind of have a roster or a musical family of, you know, whatever it is, 10 or 11 different people in the group and we play in different configurations or whatever. And that just kind of naturally evolves. And sometimes someone comes and goes over time and, you know, that's, that's part of life. We all know, yeah, right. Maybe there's a change on one of the chairs, uh, in the band. And so that also dictates, some evolution, but I just, for the most part, it feels like it's pretty organic to me, the Mm -hmm. way, the way things go. So the fact that adding Tita to the group and doing these vocal arrangements, and then I got all inspired and started writing music. I'm like, that's definitely meant for vocals. Yeah. Yeah. And then we co-wrote those. So now it's like, well, obviously that music has to be released. I love that. I mean, you know, I spent my entire life as an instrumentalist, so it's been really fun the last few years to work with a, a vocalist. And, and I do think, I mean, as a as a instrumentalist myself, uh-huh. I always heard vocals and lyrics, especially secondarily, ever mm-hmm. since I was a kid. Like okay. even my favorite music, I never really paid attention to the lyrics. I just heard vocals as like another me- like as a melody and another timbre, okay. okay, of sound first. Yeah, and we never really analyzed the lyrics. And I know the average music listener who's not a musician actually hears music the exact opposite. Yeah. They hear lyrics and vocals first, and then music later. So it's been it's been really cool to kind of like go down that road and and start to work with like the you know no question there that's not to say that there haven't been many tunes with lyrics that haven't moved me over the years they have but sure. it still was always usually the music that caught me first. Gotcha. It's just interesting that you know that's the difference between how a musician, especially an instrumentalist, yeah, music, and how the average music listener and what they connect to. So. I say all that to say adding a vocalist to the mix, I just think, uh, I just think makes it more palatable. Yeah. Yeah. Broader audience. And my thing is, is always in the jazz world. I've always felt that, that a lot of people have all sorts of connotations associated with jazz, right? I mean, mm-hmm. jazz means just that term means many different things to many different people. I mean, sure jazz does. can mean straight ahead jazz, yeah. jazz can mean smooth jazz, jazz can mean fusion. Yeah. You know, so what, when I say jazz to someone, I mean, someone, you know, someone who's 25 might hear jazz and think of like, you know, Spangalang, like swing or, right. or Sinatra or whatever. Whereas the next person they hear jazz and they might think the yellow jacket, someone mm-hmm. else might hear jazz and think of Najee. Right. right. So, you know, so it's a broad array. So I say all that to say, I think that, that there's been kind of arbitrary uh, boundaries set up by the definition 
where what I know and what I see uh, is that a great band playing mm-hmm. music that is jazz influenced like we are. I mean, yeah. we touch on a lot of things. There's jam, there's rock, there's yep. world, there's funk. Yeah. So there's this, there's classical, there's this whole thing in front of a live audience, such a broader audience can connect to it than yeah. what they might think because it had the term jazz. You know, so, you, you raise a great point there because I, I, um, as you know, we do a jazz festival here in Milwaukee and I, invited someone to our event that we had back in October, which was a one-day event. And they said, well, I'm not really into jazz. And we had some different artists. We had Candace Springs was one of the artists there and Julian Vaughn. And those guys are on a on pretty different spectrums, right? And For that, sure. per- that person right. came and they were like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that all of this was jazz. And if I would have known that all of this was jazz, I would have never said that I wasn't really into jazz, you know, <laughs> because right. I'm in all this. Right. And I tell people all the time that in this jazz, if you if when people tell me they're not into jazz, you know, sometimes I ask people, you know, tell me who you like. And I guarantee you, I can point you to someone in this spectrum of jazz that aligns with 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 whoever that is that you really like, you know, and you'll find something for yourself in that spectrum. A hundred percent. I mean, that's the, I sometimes think that, that live concert promoters, especially don't always give their audiences the credit they deserve for being able to just connect with such a broad array of music. I mean, my thing is, listen, there's esoteric jazz that's like avant-garde and very sophisticated and not easy for a broad audience who's not into jazz to connect to. But then there's jazz. I mean, look at snarky puppy. Absolutely. My generation, um, being a band that has really crossed over and just opened ears uh, of so many younger people who they don't realize, like, I mean, if you listen, there's a lot of influence in Snarky Puppy from like Headhunters from Chicory Electric Band. Yep. You can hear all that if you know the music, but to, you know, to these younger kids who got turned on to it, they didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And they probably not, they didn't relate to that music. So um, that's why I like to just try and put ourselves in situations where we're playing for, a less than predictable audience. Yeah. Stretch those boundaries. You know, I mean, if you can open for Jethro Tull and have that, that audience rock. Yeah. And you can open for Robin Thicke yeah. and Babyface and have that audience dig what you do, then it just goes to show you like people who love music, love music. So as long as it's melodic yeah. and it grooves, you know, they'll probably dig it. That's a great point. That's Life a really, great. really good point. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're what you're talking about is exactly the thing is, yeah, like Julian Vaughn and Candace Springs share very little in common musically. Yeah. Other than they loosely fall under this. That means, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So you you talked a little bit about it, but how, how did COVID impact how you do what you do? Um, you know, obviously it took people off the road, but. You know, what did that mean for you? And, and what, what, what did you get out of that experience? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously an extremely challenging time for the world on the whole. Um, I don't want to take away from, you know, fortunately my family and friends, uh, everyone is healthy. Uh, unfortunately in my wife's family, they lost three people Mm -hmm. to COVID. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as I've talked to a lot of people, along the way, I just think, you know, we all know there's lots of different views and opinions. Yeah. Of it, I say. And those things can be colored by what your own experience is. But, Absolutely. You know, I'm fortunate that nobody in my family passed, but to know, you know, people very close to her passed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was a, 
extraordinary event for the world yeah. and sacrifice that that myself and other musicians bore heavy as it was yeah should not be conflated with the ultimate sacrifice of people who who died or lost love so there's a lot you know there's a lot to kind of to try and keep in perspective so i would say in spite of the challenges personally i feel a lot of blessings i mean obviously it changed my life greatly for a period of time mm -hmm. but in that time i was able to kind of do some things personally good you know that i wouldn't have otherwise you know my wife and i got married it be, granted it wasn't the way we drew it up we were supposed to get married in hawaii okay in 30th 2020 but COVID had other plans we didn't get married at home alone okay after christmas 2020 so very wow. very different but um musically i was not inspired for quite a long time it uh -huh. wasn't until like last february or march when like vaccines have started to roll out okay. and we started to see a little light at the end of the tunnel that i started to feel i mean i did write some stuff but you know it was a pretty dark time yeah in a lot of yeah ways. of course sure. i played you know i practiced and whatever and we did streaming shows and those mm -hmm. were cool uh it is funny to do a streaming show and the band's on fire you're all live in a you know in a studio in the uh -huh. room together and it's like you know you finish the song you normally there'd be a plot <laughs> yeah, crickets and then you're talking into a camera you can't see out who's out there so it's a different paradigm but you know we're fortunate to have some cool stuff yeah um and uh and you know there was a lot of shows postponed so yeah. a lot of those got pl played last year and we still have about a half dozen that have to play this year okay. so okay in fact the first one is uh this uh this saturday and okay. that's all the scheduled like i don't know three or four times from April, 2020 originally. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So it definitely been, uh, it's definitely been a different, uh, you know, different experience that none of us saw coming and, you know, just try to keep it in perspective. And, uh, you know, I'm not, not the guy who really wanted to do a lot of like broadcasting from my home, mm -hmm. you know, playing like piano every you know week or whatever. I certainly could have, and maybe I should have done that. Um, but you know, I didn't and yeah. uh, on other things during that time. And then I've, you know, I've written quite a bit since then. And, and, um, you know, hopefully I navigated as good as I could. I mean, it was, you know, it's hard to know when your future, everything you're used to is different. And then your future is uncertain. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I look at guys like Emmett Cohen, he built this really cool streaming weekly thing. And, you know, mm -hmm. so kudos to him yeah. you know and yeah. us could have done that you just had to have the wherewithal the desire the drive the inspiration to do yeah. it yeah he's in new york so really kudos to him because they were you know they bore such a terrible brunt of it they really did no doubt about it no doubt about it so now that we appear to be coming out on the other side of it we're gonna hopefully be like you said earlier you know hopefully we won't be seeing cancellations of shows and we'll get more shows on the docket so What's what's the juxtaposition for you between being in the studio and creating and being on the stage and and doing your thing on stage? How are those different for you? Yeah, for me, um, I've I'm always most inspired around live performance. Uh -huh. uh, the studio is definitely inspired. Like the way we did the last record, which was all recorded live and videoed with like eight camera HD all live in the studio. Wow. So it was very much live performance. There was a ton of energy in the studio because there yeah. was a lot of musicians involved, anything on the tracks, anywhere from eight to 15 musicians all at once. 
mm-hmm. you know, recording and performing live. So in that way, it felt like same kind of thing. There was this inspiration, yeah. the energy. I feed off that energy. Like a lot of times I come up with song ideas at sound checks just because it's huh. like the creative juices are flowing. Okay. Whatever. I have lots of like song ideas. And like I said, on voice memos on my phone that uh-huh. just come up and it's like, you know, the band starts jamming around. I don't know why it just, so anything that gets the creative juices flowing, which is probably why COVID at least that first year was a challenging time for me to compose. Cause I just didn't feel like I was getting, I wasn't getting that normal kind of um, stream of consciousness inspiration that happens in those settings because we we're all cut off from each other. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, so I would say for me, live performance has always been key. Yeah. Yeah. Um, into recording um, and, and finding, I mean, I would say the, one of the challenges in the studio is finding a way to, to capture the energy of live performance in a more pristinely produced track mm-hmm. and also not having it be as long. I mean, what you can get away with live like yeah. length of flows, the amount of improvisation generally you don't want to do in the studio because you know, there are considerations like how long of a song a radio station will play or yeah, for that matter, Spotify. Yeah. And yeah. other services uh, definitely deprioritize longer content. Yeah. So, um, so it's how to find that, but still capture the energy of live because that's what people connect to. So Absolutely. you want that excellent sound and production that you can get in the studio, but still capture the energy and then, you know, have, have the band playing with like the ultimate, you know, discipline uh, at the same time as, you know, inspiration. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are you like be just before you walk out on stage? Are you calm and cool? Are you super excited? Are you thinking, you know, thinking through everything? What do you like? After shows, there was like, what are you thinking about on stage? And I would say the less you're thinking, the better. Okay. Like, when it's just flowing and it's totally intuitive is always the best shows. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, when you think, or at least for me, when I think or, or, uh, or do have my mind getting in the way a bit more. Uh, those shows are ten, tend to not be as intuitive as just like in the moment, in the flow, in the zone, whatever. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. You know, in my younger years, and for a lot of years, I used to get nervous before shows, but I rarely do now. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, I reached that point, I don't know, 10 years or so ago where i mean i remember even when we were we were playing in barbados jazz festival and i looked over and babyface was side stage <laughs> and yeah i mean I, you know if there was ever time to be nervous i would think that'd be the one but uh-huh you know, pretty cool i mean it's just kind of like it becomes like your second home on stage and yeah. I, I think a little bit of nervousness is is healthy yeah yeah as long as you kind of trust in yourself there's a difference between like nervousness of in like where you're a little intimidated and just nervousness of excitement yeah. so yeah good point um, Sometimes you need a little adrenaline to wake you up on the road when you're, you know, uh, you're road weary, you know, yeah, yeah. morning flights from show to show. Right. They fall over time. And sometimes you need that little, it's like an extra cup of coffee or whatever. Gotcha. Uh, so what's, yeah. it, what's it like after the show then for you? Like, are you like, you've, you've had a great show. You killed it. The audience was into it. Like, like what's your, what, what do you want to do when you're, when you come off stage? Uh, it's always nice to visit uh, with people, uh-huh. to see fans, sign CDs. A lot of the time, sometimes you just want some time to yourself, though. Like if you're really 
if you're really mentally like turned on, uh, then it can be a little hard to kind of come back down to earth yeah, quick enough and like be present with people and give them your full attention. Like sometimes I feel like I just want to go off and be by myself for a few minutes or whatever. Sure. Uh, and, and then after that, I mean, it's always nice to hang out with the band and get a bite, you know, uh, maybe get a beer, uh-huh. not much of a drinker, but you know, yeah. whatever, just chill out afterwards. Uh, even if you're super tired, I, I can never go to bed like sh- shortly after a uh-huh. show. Even if you want to, you're like, oh my God, I got a 3 a.m. lobby call and it's 1130 at night. And uh-huh. it's still like you're wired. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, it's, I think it's important to, to try and take a moment to, in, to like enjoy those moments and yeah. try and like them however you can to like kind of store them up for your, you know, it's really, uh, it's what feeds our souls the most as musicians. I mean, in spite of obviously we all have to make a living, there's a business, there's yeah. reality that, but I always tell people when I get those emails from fans about what uh, our music or my music has meant to them and uh-huh. how it's inspired them or brought them some peace or an escape from challenging times in life, I always tell them like beyond everything else in my career, the travels, the whatever, it's those things that are the most rewarding. So that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, we're going to take a listen to another one of your songs. This one is is 16th Heaven. But I got to tell you, I was just struck by that title. Tell tell us a little bit about how that song came to be. Yeah, I mean, 16th Heaven was, uh, so actually 16th Heaven and Metropolis were the two uh, tunes I finished last for the album. Okay. And I had originally, I had gotten the, like the original heart of the song I had written a couple of years before, but I'd never finished it. And I just, I wanted something that was Latin influence, but also a little unpredictable. And it just, I don't know. It just kind of came about to be what it is. It's a real crowd favorite live. Even though when I first brought it into the band, they're all like, man, that's a play. Uh-huh. Just speaking, although I don't know if it sounds that way to the audience. Um, and I think some guys didn't know that it would translate yeah. as well as it would. I'm like, just trust me. Like some tunes I really have a strong vision for. Other tunes when I bring it in to teach the band, I'm kind of open to their interpretation. This one, I'm like, just trust me. I know okay. it's going to work. Got it. And um, and so, you know, when I was writing it, I, I wanted that Latin influence. And then I even chose the instrumentation I wanted to feature on it to be a little unpredictable. A lot of people in a Latin sense would gravitate towards having flute as a featured instrument mm-hmm. in like a Latin jazz tune. And I'm like, no sax, like, okay. cause just a little different, whatever. And in fact, Kieli originally pushed back on me. He's like, no man, it's gotta be flute. I'm like, just trust me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it all worked out. So it's really evolved into a cool tune. It's a staple of our live show. It's a staple of the special effects all-star show too. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and um it was uh it was the hardest tune to to capture live in the studio yeah well you guys you, you guys certainly captured it so let's take a listen to 16th heaven
right, that was again our, our guest today, Lau Tizer from the Lau Tizer Band and, and their song, 16th Heaven. So, Lau, we have this segment that we do on each of our shows. It's called Bout It or Doubt It, okay? So, it's a little game we like to play. If you're bout it, it's something you like. If you doubt it, it's something you just aren't feeling. Can we twist your arm and get you to play? Sure. All right, let's do it. I started yeah, this body bout If you bout it, get him up. I mean you body body. I mean you body. They say you body body. I represent. I doubt it. All right, so we're going to spin the wheel, and we're going to get you a category, and then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions, okay? Yep. All right, Lau, your, your category is adventure today, all right? So. Bout it or doubt it? Parachuting. Bout it. Bout it. Okay. Have you done it? I have not. But okay. I it's on. Is it? It's on the list. It's on the list of consideration. I'm not sure my wife would let me do it. But <laughs> it's on the list of consideration. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. I see. I, I. For me, that's one that I don't think I. I have friends who've done it, and my wife wants to do it as well. She hasn't done it yet, but she wants to do it. But I just never, I like, I never could wrap my head around that one, you know? <laughs> it sounds wild, but exciting. I mean, I've been up in uh, like helicopters before a couple of times. That was actually, if you've never been in a helicopter, that's quite an experience the first okay, time. Okay. Take off. Cause you're so used to like planes, right? Where it's like all forward yeah. momentum and then riding up. And all of a sudden, we're just like sitting there. This is in Kauai years ago. And all of a sudden, it's like someone's pulling you up by a rope. Wow. So I figure if you're open to that, uh, you know, parachuting isn't too far off the, too, too far out of that realm. Okay. To me, uh, as far as safety goes, I think they're probably pretty comparable. Yeah, 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 yeah. They probably, I hadn't, you see, I haven't been in a, hel- I haven't been in a helicopter yet, so I don't know that feeling, but I'll, I'll take your word for that one. Wow. So, yeah, okay, well, good for you, man. I hope you get that in. I hope you get that on your list. Then uh, let's ask you one more. How about race car driving? Would you drive a car, drive a race car? About it. Okay, yeah, okay, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't know how fast I would drive it, but I, you know, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm comfortable going up to a certain speed. I don't think I'd want to be, like, hitting 180. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. See, I think that's one I could go for. I could go for that. I could go for getting in a car and trying to go as, push it as fast as I could potentially push it, you know? I think I could enjoy that one, you know. So I have friends who race cars. There's a a track not too far from from us. In fact, have you played have you played the Ostoff Resort? Your, your band's played uh, there. Yeah, 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 you've played there. So in that town, there's a track called Road America in that okay. same town. And I have lots of friends who go up there and race cars, and I tell you, I'm dying to do that. So that's one of the things I'm going to try to make happen this summer, get up there and try to – go for a spin around the track a time or two yeah i'm i think it it would be fun i mean there's there's a track not far from us i think there's one like up in oxnard or ventura somewhere okay. just north of where we are and i have a lot of friends who have done that and i have some my cousins are both they both own porsches and they're like uh-huh. they're a bit that like i don't know if i mean the way my cousin drives like he's safe he's never gotten an accident i wouldn't drive like that on the open road myself uh-huh, uh-huh. but it would be fun to take a car like that on a track where you have like you know banked corners and absolutely 
Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to do it while other cars were on the track. Yeah, right, 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 right. I, I agree with you on that one. I think, I, yeah, I would reserve it for the track. So I would definitely reserve right. it for the track. So, well, we, we're we alike on one of those. But, yeah, I'll, I'll let you do the par- the parachuting, man, and, and uh, good luck with that one. <laughs> Thank you. I have a bunch of friends who have done it. And, you know, I'm sure it's quite an exhilarating thing. But we'll see if it ever if it ever happens. Uh, yeah. But I'd be open to it, especially in the right setting. Like, if you had a chance to parachute into someplace, like, super epic. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, yeah. like... Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. So we talked a little bit about your your musical taste being pretty diverse and having a, you know, growing up that way. What's playing in your car right now? What's playing in my car right now? You know, I have a big database of of music on my phone and I leave it on rotate all the time, always shuffling. So it's amazing. It's got thousands of tunes in it. And so I don't know how the algorithms choose to like play what they play. I will say this, what I have been listening to lately, my, um, my sister, uh, got a place around the corner from us. They, oh, cool. uh, her husband, my brother-in-law is, uh, is a band leader, songwriter and big film composer, okay. different realm. I don't know if you ever heard a band called Debachka. I have not, no. They've done, they've done a lot of cool stuff and he's done a whole bunch of movies, a bunch of big movies, Paddington. Okay. And that Will Smith movie, Focus, whatever. Anyway, so oh yeah, they were borrowing my car because they they live in Denver, but they also have a place around the corner because he does all this film composing stuff. And they borrowed my car and they put it on a station here in LA called the Independent. Uh huh. And this was I've had it left on that station for the last three months, huh. and there's all kinds of cool music coming up on there. So I've really been enjoying that because it's exposed exposed me to music. I'm you know I hadn't listened to the radio a lot in years, and I'm, I tend to be live in my jazz world mostly. Uh-huh. So it, there's all kinds of cool stuff, like some really cool tracks on there from like Leon Bridges. I, cool. I got to start writing down the names because I keep hearing you know they start to recycle them, but it's cool because it's eclectic music. I mean, there's some cool stuff that's like kind of thrown back to like the you know there's like that whole retro soul revival that's been going on for a few years now. So stuff from that realm. Uh-huh. Um, and and so that's exposed me to some to some newer stuff. So that's been cool. But I can't name like a particular artist that I've got like yeah. on rotation. I just gotcha. kind of try and keep it fresh. And, you know, sometimes I've probably more Herbie Hancock in uh-huh. my database than anybody else. Gotcha. So I'll constantly. There's like 25 albums on there. So I'll hear stuff. I'm like, I still haven't even heard that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a good variety of stuff. There's there's some great young artists out there for sure. Yeah, there really are. There really are. And it seems like that, that list is just growing and growing and growing, which is cool. So so if you weren't doing music, what do you think you'd be doing for a living? It's a good question. When I was young, uh, people always said I should be a lawyer, I guess, because I uh, like to talk to <laughs> Okay, know. okay. Was, uh, so maybe... Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've always been a pretty close follower of politics. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know that I would do that now. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a pretty ridiculous landscape these oh. days. But I do care about our country. I care about our democracy. I care about, you know, basic principles of said democracy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to bite my tongue when I have other friends who I'm like, getting into the fray when you hear people like yeah. friends such a ridiculous statement like it's it's hard for me to not challenge when i hear something that i know to be provably inaccurate but i hope that we find our our way back to a, a healthier political discourse where yeah. 
it's not about disagreeing on ideals, like whatever, like, uh, you know, I get, I, I get liberal ideology. I get conservative ideology. I think they both have value. It's more that we've devolved to this place where it's like, we can't talk to each other right. about it. Absolutely. Each other and, and there's just so much misinformation, disinformation and, and, you know, pitting of one side against each other. So perhaps that would be something I mean, I've had people say mm-hmm. it to me before. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, that's the sad state of things is that you don't want people who otherwise would stand for principled positions, would be intellectually honest, would be unafraid to yeah. to buck the party line, whatever party they associate with in favor of just what they believe. But, man, it's 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 pretty toxic. So I hope we can get to a better place. I don't know if I can be a part of that. Yeah, but, I, it, that's it's interesting. You, it, I tell you, it's interesting you say that because I, I just came off of a, a dear friend of mine decided to run for mayor of Milwaukee okay. and asked me to help him run his campaign. So I am just really literally like two weeks off of helping him run this campaign. He was not successful, but I got to tell you, I've never been involved in politics before other than from a, you know, always, uh, you know, someone who's always voted, always been mindful of the issues in my community and things that are important, but it is all the things you say are so true about where we are as a society and the need for us at all levels. I think of politics to have people in office who are going to be, um, uh, who have one a caring for uh, for their communities and who are going to be about trying to make a positive change and willing to listen to others who may be who may share a different opinion. I think that's the biggest thing that I see is that we've gone from being able to have discourse and different just being different to different being wrong, right? And so hope we can get away from that at some point soon. Yeah. Or associating someone's ideology with whether they're a good person or not. Right. I mean, you know, and just full on just defamation of people like basically there's there's two teams. And if you're on yeah. the other team, you cannot possibly be a good person. That's just not true. I mean, as much as I might disagree with what someone thinks uh, politically, that I also know plenty of people which that is the case, but they've also demonstrated great generosity and humanity in other aspects of their life, maybe to me personally or to other people. So, yeah. you know, this country used to be a place where it's like people could disagree and agree to disagree and go have a laugh and mm-hmm. drink a beer. And like, you, no one says you have to agree. And somehow we got to a point where it's like, you know, it's, it's destroyed some friendships yeah. or some family, you know, relationships or whatever. And that's, that's not where we want to be. Yeah. So I hope you can kind of like leave that behind. Listen, it's been, it, it's been egged on by politicians. Yep. No doubt about uh, it. You know, as a tool for, for their own uses, but it's not good for society and people should see beyond that yeah. and, and be like, you know, and also I will say this, I mean, I think, you know, going through the pandemic, I mean, obviously that got politicized, yep. vaccination got politicized, whatever, but, but people do need to understand in my humble opinion, decisions have consequences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, they always do in our lives. Yeah. Just because the pandemic, those same decisions had consequences doesn't mean that we should lose fact of the site that, or lose sight of the fact, excuse me, that throughout our lives, decisions have always had consequences. Yeah. So true. So, you know, there's a difference between 
uh, inalienable light, uh, rights and constitutional rights mm-hmm. and rights of preference or privilege. And we should all just keep those in, in, in consideration when we make the decisions and be willing to bear the consequences of those decisions accordingly and also stand up for minority rights, even if we don't in some cases agree, like that's something that is a founding principle. We're getting, I guess, a little deeper down this road, but no, that's cool. Our democracy yeah. is that we should stand up for, uh, for minority rights. So whether that's for the civil rights movement, yeah. right. Or for vaccine mandates or whatever. Right. 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 It's something we should all weigh out and at least be cognizant of in the way we treat it and the decisions you know, the decisions we make and, you know, and then also understand that it's like, you know, there's lots of things out of our personal control. I mean, if there's anything the last couple of years has taught me uh, is that I can really only control what I do for, for goodness and positivity Yeah, in the ways that we can. I can't really control what other people do, what news they consume, what information they consume, whether it be accurate or not mm-hmm. or conspiracy same thing for me. Yeah. And to make sure, uh, uh, there's one other thing I would say is that we somehow devolved to a place where it's like people pretty much consume one set of news or another set of news. Right. I've always made the effort and I still continue to make the effort uh, to consume, uh, consume dissenting opinion. Yeah. 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 You don't have to like it. Yeah. You don't have to agree with it, but there's a lot of dissenting opinion that is well thought out, well yep. argued. And at least challenge yourself. And if we fall to a place where people just don't challenge themselves, no matter what bubble they're in, how are we supposed to make progress? As yeah. Society, we are all Americans first, right? Let's right. That, you know, no doubt um, about it. Well we said. An example of what true, like, uh, sacrifice and what like true tyranny and whatever is. Look at what's going on in Ukraine right now. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Hopefully we can all have perspective on how good we still have it here in spite of a very rough and rocky few years. Yeah, you're you're so right. You're so right. And I I, I think you make a great point about saying how good we still have it, even though we've had some rough times. Great points. I I hope we keep it that way. You know, like, you know, um, and and, you know, just to return to like the fact that Americans, first and foremost, we stand for democracy. Yes. And that one thing, this will be the last thing I'll say. One thing I think we've lost sight of also was that democracy, I don't remember who tweeted this out a while ago, but it's a very apt quote. I'm going to paraphrase, but it's exactly on point. You can't support democracy only when your side wins. Yes, exactly. Accepting the will of the people. Yes. Even if that will doesn't align with what you had hoped. And then you move on to the next time. You fight for the ideas you believe in yep. the best you can, and then you accept the will of the people and you move on. Yeah. Not about trying to destroy faith in elections, not about trying to undermine the actual sanctity of those elections, but rather may the best idea win. And when your idea doesn't win, you know, listen, that's the way it's always been. Half the time, mm-hmm. the, the candidate that we like doesn't win, Yeah, whether that be for president or for senator or for governor or for mayor or for house of representative. Yeah, exactly. Or county commissioner, whatever. Like that's that's the way it goes. Yeah. So let's yeah. not lose sight of that because it's really it's the cycle of the cycle and the pendulum always swings back and forth. It does, no doubt about so that. The time it will. You yeah. know what I mean? Like my state of California, you know, has I'm originally from Colorado, has certainly gone a certain path. Uh huh. Maybe too far, 
and it will naturally swing back Absolutely. because voters will be fed up with certain certain of the of the policies put in place and they'll make a correction you know but stand for democracy always yeah. and you know it's a it's there's no endpoint it's a continuing process absolutely so. it is no doubt about it no doubt That's about it <laughs> good 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 so tell us something that fans would be surprised to learn about you something that fans would be surprised to learn about me i'm a huge tennis nut really okay and okay. Uh, uh i was always a big tennis fan i got r- really into playing it especially during the pandemic i had started getting into it before the pandemic but with that extra time yeah uh you know, uh, yeah. So like my wife and I literally, we were putting ourselves through sleep deprivation before the baby came. Cause we're uh-huh. staying up hours of the night, watching the Australian open wow. back in, back in, uh, late January, <laughs> or whenever it was, can't remember when, I guess second half of January. I don't remember what the dates were exactly this year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Big tennis fan. Okay. And, uh, and hoping I get to go to, I've been to the U S open a couple of times, but okay. hoping I get to go to like Wimbledon French open. Australian yeah. open time in the future and uh i hope to instill that uh that uh love for tennis in my daughter too awesome awesome how often do you get a chance to play i play anywhere from two to four times a week um okay. sometimes even more but that's about all my legs can take because yeah I play pretty aggressively and we'll play for like a couple hours so okay okay uh, you know it, hard courts are not easy on your knees and stuff yeah. so but I love the workout and uh, I honestly got in better shape than I've been in, in years because of the pandemic and yeah. I'm keep it that way. Good for you. So, Good for yeah. you. Well, let's take a listen to another one of your tunes. This is forever searching.
All right, everybody. That was Forever Searching by today's guest, Lau Tizer of the Lau Tizer Band. So, Lau, I have a couple of questions that I love to ask all of our guests, and I'm gonna uh, gonna throw those at you right now. One of them is you are having a dinner party. You can invite any three people, living or deceased. Who's coming to your dinner party, and what's on the menu? Whoa! Uh, by the way, one other thing <laughs> I was going to say in that in answer to your other question, I love cooking too. Ah, okay, so and, okay, so all right, so this is right down your alley then. So this is, yeah, so a man, so any three people, man, that is a tough one to pull off the top. <laughs> of I would say Herbie Hancock just because he's a huge hero. Yeah, right? um, he's also a very thoughtful guy. If you've seen him interviewed. Uh-huh. Um, these probably aren't the the three I would settle on if I had more time to to think about it, uh, uh-huh. think on it. But Bill Maher would be another one. Yeah, okay, that's a good I'm one. A long time fan of his. I don't always agree with him. Yeah, but I I the thing I like is that he actually does stand for principles. Yeah. on the, he stands for, and that's something I admire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think uh, off the top of my head, who else? A guy who I follow on Twitter, who I think. Uh, is a very um, principled journalist. He's a conservative guy who I think takes very, um, very interesting takes on things. And I would enjoy the chance to chat with him because I've followed him for a long time. Yeah. Dick French. Okay. One other, maybe Ian Bremer, who's, you know, the head of Eurasia group and a real foreign policy yeah, uh, I am very down the middle. I have no idea what his political leanings are, but he has interesting takes on things. Yeah, I find the unemotional and and nuanced and fact based, which cool. is something that speaks to me. So yeah. I might have cheated by one, but that's okay. That's okay. And, and what are you cooking for him? What am I cooking for him? Um, man, we've got a pretty wide array wide array of dishes <laughs> that we like right here, but one of our go to chimichurri steak Ooh, that sounds yeah, good like we make house made like fully homemade chimichurri uh steak and uh like garlic mashed potatoes and a killer salad that sounds pretty good that sounds like a pretty good party pretty fun party too uh, hey, i would love to i would love to be there for that that sounds like a great time yeah. all right so one other one that i'm gonna put you on the spot with too your three favorite albums of all time three favorite albums of all time yeah kind of blue's got to be up there yeah uh, because that was the one that really opened my ears to jazz mm-hmm. when I was 15 or 16. Like I told you, my dad, I wasn't raised around jazz. Yeah. He wasn't into it, uh, still isn't into it. Um, but that was the one that was like, I was in high school and suddenly I was like, man, it just, I, I just kind of got it. Yeah. Um, you know, another album that really opened my ears and when I was, and definitely shaped who I am as a composer. I'm trying to think which would be the first one. What is the Matheny group album from uh, 97? Not speaking of now, but the one before that, okay. I've got it in my, uh, um, I've got it in my iTunes, but I can't think of what the name is. I, yeah. uh, okay. I can, there's some really incredible compositions on that. Yeah. And then I would have to say, man, like, you know, something Beatles in there. Yeah, okay. Love great songwriting. So yeah. um I mean Blackbird, which would be from the White Album, right? Uh-huh. Is I think one of the great all-time songs. So 
it's so hard to narrow down to three. But yeah, we'll yeah. Those three up for an on the spot answer. Those are some I... pretty good choices. Those are some pretty good choices, man. Good, good, good. Well, so what does the rest of of twenty twenty two hold for you and the Loud Tizer band? Yeah, so um, there's some really exciting stuff coming up this year. Good. Uh, like I said, we're hitting the road this weekend. I'll be on the road between shows with my band and shows with Special Effects All Stars. Okay. Uh, then have a little bit of uh, of mellow time, uh, and then June's getting quite busy. And one of the highlights definitely is we're we're playing the Hollywood Bowl for the first time. Oh, cool! Uh, in June, and uh, you know that's like a bucket list one for me. I mean, yeah. probably two bucket list venues for me would be Hollywood Bowl and Red Rocks because I'm a Boulder, Colorado kid originally. Gotcha. So I get to cross one of those off. Um, and we're that same weekend, we're playing Jamaica on a Friday and oh, wow. Sundays. that should be a fun weekend. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, definitely have to do a new record project and video. So I need to just find time. To, I, there's all these instrumental tunes. I just need to finish those up to marry them with the, the original vocals we've already been performing in the show Gotcha. and then get that together so we can get something out the beginning of next year. I, I didn't want to release anything until I was sure yeah. the pandemic was really done and touring would really be back to normal. Cause that's really the reason why we release albums now is yeah. to bolster touring and to have new music to share on the road. Absolutely. Um, so I would say that, yeah, that, that pretty much wraps it up and, you know, I'm excited to, uh, also, a couple of really cool Colorado gigs. I love the mountains. We're okay. playing winter special effects. All stars are playing Winter Park Jazz Festival for the first time in July. Okay, and then my band's playing following day. I love anything in the mountains. Yeah, it makes it extra sweet that all those gigs I mentioned, I get to bring my daughter to. That's and cool. That'll be really special. Good for you, man. Well, we we are looking forward to all that's going to come forth from you and the band in 2022. And I want to thank you for taking time to hang out with us today and uh, tell us a little bit about about your music, the band, and what's coming next for you guys. So I really appreciate it, man. And we wish you all the best. I appreciate it, Carl. And good questions. I, I like the you know making uh, the conversation outside of the box, not good. just about music, and also uh, a, a little uh, challenge with the on the on the spot. <laughs> well, good man. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you, man. All right, all right. Sounds good. Well, everybody, be sure to get your tickets for the 2022 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, August 26th and 27th at the Pap Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This year's artists include Bob James, Najee, Alex Bunyol, Adam Hawley, Vandell Andrew, Gabriella Anders, and more. Tickets are on sale now at freshcoastjazz.com. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage.